Welcome to episode 14 of the Full Disc Aviation Podcast, the podcast for all things aviation and aviation photography. I'm Nick Moore here in Wichita, Kansas, and I've got two of my good friends with me here today. Both hailing from the great Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, Ryan Kelly and James Woodard. How are you boys doing? Doing good, Nick. How you doing, man? I'm hanging in there. Still doing my social distancing. Made it to Menards uh, today. Get a little bit of uh, some mulch. So oh yeah. just doing, doing some fun adult things. So how about you, James? Doing good. Just uh, trying to keep the kids occupied without killing each other, you know. Um, other than that, all good. I do know. I do know very much. <laughs> <laughs> Our guest for today is one of the top performers in the air show circuit. He's a great advocate for warbird aviation, specifically those warbirds built by North American Aviation. He flies a graceful routine from the cockpit of a beautiful P-51 Mustang aptly named Quicksilver. Here he is, the host of the Air Power Podcast and all-around good dude, Mr. Scott Yoke. Welcome, Scooter. How are you doing? I'm fine, brothers. How are y'all doing? We're making it. That's, hey, dude, that's all that matters. I'm just glad that we're all on the phone six feet away from each other, okay? Exactly. <laughs> I just, I just, I just want to make sure that everybody at home knows that, because not like anybody else in America or in the world right now has anything else to do, because hopefully you guys are social distancing yourself, but... uh yeah, so here we are. All we have to do is podcast and talk about the air shows that we're not flying, but there's exciting things in the works, good sir, as always, as always. Absolutely. I uh, I mean, it sounds like you're probably, what, just hanging out in the hangar right now? Uh, no. Um, so, long story short, I, uh, I had a couple days off from the airline. Uh, I fly for Endeavor, which is Delta Connection, and... Uh, a customer of mine, because I, I also work on the marvelous North American projects, uh, products, excuse me, but this one is probably more like a product, a project, I should say, uh, invited me down. And unfortunately, I, I ran right smack dab into West Palm Beach, other than Sarasota. I'm not very good at this whole flying thing. And uh, I flew to the complete other side of the state because somebody said the four-letter B word, uh, which rhymes with oat. And uh, yeah, I'm on a boat right now. So I'm on a boat right now out out in the out in the middle of uh actually I'm just anchored off the peanut island in Florida. So what are y'all doing? I'm in front of a desk right now. <laughs> <laughs> Not on a boat. <laughs> I want you to go to Google and Google boat peanut island. That way we can all be on the same as a matter of fact, everybody at home, go on your phone, go on your laptop, go to everybody else. I want you to Google boat peanut island florida and that way we can all be on the same actually i'm below deck because they're blaring music upstairs and i just wanted to talk to my bros for a little bit so here we are well we appreciate it man a whole bunch uh sounds like you got fun things going on so really appreciate you taking the time to join us so let's just jump right in man we're uh big fans of what you do and kind of want to start from the beginning i kind of gather you didn't just wake up one day and decide you want to fly a mustang uh you want to take us back to the beginning of uh, your love for aviation yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and by the way, it's it's reciprocated. I mean, I love your guys' work as well. And uh, I I was I was one of the lucky few that was actually born into the industry where my my family, my father, my grandfather, whoever you want to call it, uh, was not wealthy enough to afford one of these aircraft. But we worked on them, and we are, and my father already flew them because in the '60s and '70s, that's just what. I mean, the, the Mustangs were, and the Corsairs, Bearcats, Hellcats, 
they were around. You just had to know somebody. My dad being in Southern California at the time uh, was around this stuff. And so I, when I came around in the 80s, you know, the, my dad was already in the movie industry. He had uh, he'd flown on the TV series Baba Black Sheep. Um, you know, he did a lot of stuff in the warbird industry. I was born into it. And I, my dad ran a repair station in Southern California. And I grew up in a I grew up in a hangar atmosphere where there's always dude there's always I don't care if it's a general aviation you know Cessna twin Cessna uh, Beechcraft Piper any of that kind of stuff all the way up into including fighters my dad was big into uh, warbird maintenance restoration manufacturing parts for them that kind of stuff. And so I was raised in this environment, and I was lucky enough to network with folks that whenever I started expressing interest in aviation, because, oh, I don't know, it was like force-fed down my throat for my entire life when I was really young and decided that, okay, I'm probably not going to play for the Yankees. Uh, I should pursue a, a job that actually pays well. Uh, I wanted to be a corporate pilot, and I went to college, and um, my college in, in Embry-Riddle and Daytona Beach, and they had a air show in fall of 2003 and I looked up and I'm like holy cow dad I want to do that my dad's like why the hell did I send you to college if you're going to be an air show pilot uh, so anyway he was like alright if you're going to do this you're going to do this my way and you're going to do it the right way and you're going to listen to what I have to say which is you're going to get your A&P which is your airframe and power plant mechanics license you're going to get your commercial all the way through commercial multi including uh, whenever you're qualified for your ATP your only transport pilot rating um, you're going to go to the clinics I tell you to go to you're literally going to be my you're going to be my mini me for the lack of words and literally my dad coached me on all the things that either he did wrong or he would have done differently when he was my age and I grew up with uh, I grew up flying T-34s uh, the tricycle gear uh, military beachcraft bonanza that everybody calls it the tandem seat bonanza that's what, that was my first warbird moved to the T-6 and um Whenever the time came, I, I checked out a Mustang, which was I was about uh, I was 19 when I first flew it, but I sold it at 20. Uh, it was just people that that believed in me and people that like wanted me to fly it because the airplane that my father that was now, that is now Quicksilver, father uh, the airplane that my father and I restored was a 15 year restoration. It was made out of parts. It was made out of everything else that all of our other customers didn't want. So we decided that we were going to make it our own aircraft. Uh, if I had to go buy a Mustang now, I couldn't afford it. But I can damn sure build parts for it. That's that's one thing that uh, you know my father instilled in me was you need to be a Swiss Army knife, you need to be a pilot, you need to be a maintainer, you need to be a fabricator, you need to be anything and everything. Uh, so that's sort of the the Reader's Digest version of where I came from. The air show thing, honestly, like I said, it, it was inspired by my uh, college's air show that happened in the fall of 2003 and uh, I wanted to do that and I met uh, Dale Snort Stodgrass in 2007 when I when I started flying Quicksilver I'd already been flying Mustangs for about two years uh, but when Quicksilver got flying in 2007 uh, I showed up at Oshkosh with, with my dad in the backseat Snort was flying Excalibur and him and I hit it off and he became my air show, air show mentor he was my very first air show mentor uh, he's the guy that literally told me, okay, do this, don't do that. Like, you want to talk about the, the world's best general manager and coach? It was smart. He was awesome. 
uh, and that sort of morphed. He introduced me to more and more folks like Jive Kirby um, and uh, you know, Slick Bomb and all these guys. They they all are just phenomenal individuals. Uh, so that's that's pretty much how I got my start, man. And it just snowballed into this. There's a, there's a there's a big gap from 2008 to now. But uh, I mean, it's all been a it's all been a blur, honestly. It seems like it's been yesterday, but that's been me. So. No, that's awesome, man. Um, that that blur from 2008 to now. I mean, you, you haven't been doing any flying or anything like that, obviously. No, no. I mean, like it's you know, it's it's not like I've been flying everything from Mustangs to L39s to you know T28s to biz jets to airliners to everything else. I mean, uh, from the airshow standpoint, uh, from 2008 till now, obviously Quicksilver has been my my bread and butter but even ever since then you know i would say the next next big awesome thing that happened was i became a part of heavy metal jet team which later became black diamond jet team uh, which to to this day is (laughs) i'll go ahead and say it's still the best damn jet demonstration team on the face of the planet uh uh, we, we we had dichotomy we had brotherhood we had everything you needed in a in a professional jet team i mean the fact that you know they decided to quit air shows where they were losing money and go to military contract where they were making money it just it just still still irks me dude but that's all right we're okay i'm all right um i'm not upset i promise well i'm biased but they are the uh they're the premier contracting red air Absolutely, they became Draken, which is yeah. you know, which is I mean, you know, the seventh largest air force in the world, or seven, like eighth or ninth, I don't know, something like that. And dude, I mean, Jared is Jared is a, a genius, and I was I was lucky to be on the same team as him, um, and everybody, you know, I mean, even even Jive was Jive was the the brains of the operation because he was the he was everything from the team lead to the ops manager to you know the head of training to everything. Mm-hmm. But if you never saw us fly, Black Diamond Jet Team, just just YouTube us. That's okay. You'll forget about those, uh, you know, the Junior Varsity Thunderbirds or the even more Junior Varsity uh, uh, Blue Angels. You'll forget about them because we were better. So. No, I remember seeing you guys at uh, Sun and Fun back in the uh, early 2010s. So it was that was good times, man. That was absolutely good times. Uh, oh yeah. You know, five L39s, two MiG 17s, and a T Bird, and NAS Oceana, shoot, what year was it? I think it was 2012. We had we had all like eight aircraft in the air at once. It was like the best show of force ever. We were like, this jet team is awesome. Beat your heart out, Blue Angels. Like, so going back to the beginning, what uh, what did you learn to fly, and what was your what was your very first uh, first lesson in? A 1969 Cessna 172 I model. 67, excuse me, 67. I'm on it. How old were you when that all started? Uh, 16 when I started. I soloed, uh, soloed when I was 17 and got my license when I was 17. Um, I went to Embry-Riddle with my private. I got my instrument commercial multi, A&P, I, uh, A&P and uh, flight instructor and all that stuff at Riddle. Um I graduated. I used to sew banners. That was my uh, that was my college job. So yeah, I was the dude that flew around with a sign. I was that annoying guy. That's how I built my hours. <laughs> Smart. Yeah, it's dangerous. It was more dangerous than any air show flying I've ever done. Easily. 
Easily. Yeah. I think that prepared me for airship flying more than anything. Well, diving at the ground to pick up a banner. It, if you haven't watched it, go to YouTube and, and watch videos of it because it looks dangerous. YouTube Van Wagner uh, banner pickup. There's going to be a lot of YouTubing during this episode. I mean, we're doing Peanut <laughs> Island with a boat. We're doing Black Diamond Jet Team, picking up a banner. I mean, we might as well just start a list at this point. So, oh. uh, <laughs> but yeah, dude, I did that. I did that for holy cow. I did that for my entire college career, and I did about uh, just. Right over two thousand hours of banner tone. Wow! I used to skip class. I used to skip class to banner tone to pay for the class that I was skipping. Does that make any sense? <laughs> Absolutely not. But it doesn't. But it doesn't matter. I was getting hours, bro. So I was, I was like, you know, bucks ahead. It's all about the long haul. <laughs> you mentioned the T thirty four. When uh, kind of in the timeline, where did that come into play? So I grew up with the T thirty four. My dad always, my dad always had a T thirty four. He he brought one back from Portugal, which was at the time the lowest time T thirty four in the world um, <laughs> until I got a hold of it. Uh, but that was like uh, you know our two airplanes growing up was a Bonanza and a T thirty four because my dad was a big Beechcraft guy. He was big into you know the Beechcraft aircraft, the uh, the single engine, the big board Continental, the you know. Uh, the real deal aircraft and I grew up with that T-34 as a project which which was rather interesting which was rather the T-34 and the Mustang both sort of uh, rivaled each other if you will and uh, this was the last T-34 my dad did my dad did four or five four of them Um, fifth is a partial but uh, this airplane and so I so I grew up with it and it was the perfect Warbird trainer because I could learn formation. I could learn mass formation, meaning larger than uh, larger than four flights, so sixteen aircraft. Um, I mean, it was I. I got my formation card at, at eighteen in the in the T thirty four, and I remember like the first time I ever come to I ever came to Oshkosh was in the thirty two ship must uh, excuse me T thirty four formation, and uh, I am always grateful for everything that the T-34 Association and their um, formation programs taught me, because they taught me the basics of everything you see today, all the way up through class 45. Everything that I do and everything that I uh, mimic is based off the fundamentals that I learned in the T-34 Association. <laughs> if, if, the, if the American public or the international public can afford a T-34 and fly it, do it. It is a poor man's Mustang. It'll do everything a P-51 will do except go 250 knots. Like, it's it's the best airplane to learn how to do this stuff in. 100%. Like, it does not get any better than this. You said you guys owned a Bonanza as well. I'm kind of curious. Is it is it pretty much the it fly similar to the Bonanza? You know, it does. It's actually, a lot of people don't know this. It's pretty much the same wing. Um it's just you know strengthened in the center section a little bit. Uh, I still that's that's how I came down here to South Florida. Was I I still fly my Bonanza to this day that we just outfitted for uh, photo missions. <clears throat> Talking to you guys, um, it's <laughs> it's a V tail, but it has been engineered to fly with the photo windows open at full speed, meaning that most of the aircraft are only limited to 130 knots. My aircraft can go 170 to 180 with the photo windows open, doing air to air. So that way, all of us guys with fighters uh, can, you know, 
not look like we're hanging our ass out in the sky and actually have good photos. Hmm. Hmm. I mean, it's, uh, if I could just find, you know, photo guys that were worth a damn. Um, yeah. That was, yeah. you know, I know. It's a pain. So if you guys know anybody, just let me know. What, what you may or may not know is we're actually on a video Zoom call right now, and we're all looking at each other, just kind of <laughs> quietly nodding our heads, you know, with that ponderous look. So <laughs> that's, that's so awesome. That's so awesome. No, all, all, all BS aside, guys, you know how big of fans I am of you guys. I try to repost you guys as much as I can on Instagram and Facebook. And uh, I would love if you guys would be the inaugural um, air-to-air photo mission with my aircraft. I would love for you guys to do that. Hell yeah. So that's, surprise number, that's surprise number one of your podcast. <laughs> didn't expect that, did you? Nope, I can't say that it did. Nope, didn't expect that, did you? So here we are. But uh, yeah, no, I, I, I would love it. And if you guys need it for, you know, even if I'm not at an air show, um, I have two individuals that can at least bring it there if if we can somehow offset the cost we'll we'll uh we'll bring it to you guys you guys can actually now you have an, a photo platform so listen if you guys do a california show game off okay if it's got to be from like dallas to like you know Charleston, south carolina area yeah no, uh sorry you're breaking up there i can't hear you i'm sorry Did you say uh dallas yeah um yeah wichita's fine no wichita's fine so <laughs> well good deal if you tell us just tell us when and where yeah <laughs> as soon as they open up this whole flying thing we'll we'll make it happen hey look i flew here i don't know what your guys problem is all right i i flew here and i ended up on a boat so i don't i don't know i don't know what your guys issue is at this point so i'm kind of curious you mentioned uh your uh your first time uh flying at oshkosh was in the t-34 do you happen to remember what year that was 2004. 2004. Wow. Yeah, 2004, man. I know. I haven't been going as long as everyone else, but that was like my my first. Because I mean, you know, I didn't do anything as like uh, I really didn't do anything prior to not flying. You know what I'm saying? So mm -hmm. if I wasn't flying, I didn't do it. Um, so, so yeah. Uh, that was my first year. It was good times. I mean, 2004, and then I brought the T-34 there. I'm trying to think of the other years. I brought it 2004. I brought it 2005, six, and then 2007 was the first year I brought the brought the uh, P-51. Awesome. So your your Mustang's pretty unique, Scooter. I mean, uh, everything from you know the paint to how the aircraft started. Uh, tell us about the plane a little bit. So Quicksilver is one of those airplanes, one of the most unique things about it, I'll start this off, that not a whole lot of folks talk about. You know, 37 countries operated the, the P-51 as, as a frontline fighter. We have parts from all 37 countries oh. on this airplane. My airplane is made of over 200 different airplanes. Huh. Like, it's not just, I mean, it has one identity, right? It has... Four five one one four three nine is the serial number, which is an airplane that, uh, and I actually just got the uh, the history of it, um, the Air Force history of it for the last. And <laughs> it's that's that's also rather unique. I'll bring that up too. But uh, you know, this airplane is made of two hundred different 
different airplanes. So we didn't want to honor like one pilot with one squadron with one, uh, you know, flight crew. We wanted to honor everybody. My my father never served, so he his way of giving back was to give back a, a wartime aircraft to the American public. And my airplanes painted in a non-standard paint scheme because we're a flying memorial. We honor all of the veterans that have served past and present. And obviously there's no way to tell the future, but we also honor those folks because as they become into our organization, the, the, or into, the, into the military, our airplane honors them. And if you look at our black paint close enough, if you ever get the chance to get close enough to it, all of our black paint has specks in it. We say that there's one speck in there for every veteran of the United States. Every single, like, every single aspect and marking of this aircraft means something. We have invasion stripes and post-war um, insignias on it. And that's probably the number one hate thing we get on the media. Oh, you guys didn't know what you're doing. Oh, believe me, we didn't know what we were doing. We did that because the airplane was, was key, was crucial. People have no idea how crucial the Mustang was for, for escort on D-Day. More than anything else, the Mustang flew more sorties on D-Day than any one day of the war. As a matter of fact, it flew more sorties on D-Day than any other airframe in the Army Air Corps. It's a very pivotal day. We have post-war markings because my airplane was never accepted by the Army Air Corps. When I first went down this road of uh, finding out what the hell my airplane's about, I went to the Smithsonian because I'm a restoration consultant for a youth fire housing center. And head guy was like, your airplane doesn't appear in our archive at all. I'm like, oh, great. I have an illegitimate aircraft. This is awesome. Um, somebody just made up a serial number in an aircraft. So we look at the construction number. We look at the North American drawings. And no, my airplane's not illegitimate. It just shows that it left the factory on the 10th of July, 1945. I'm like, all right, so where'd it go? Well, it went to Kelly Air Force Base and went to, uh, well, Army Air Corps Base at the time, and went to a two-year storage. My airplane was never accepted by the Army Air Corps. It went into storage immediately. So my airplane never carried. As a matter of fact, my airplane left the factory with bare markings. It never had the, it never had the Air Force... Uh, Stars, uh, stars and bars that we know now. Um, it never had anything. It was just a bare metal aircraft, and it was parked with about 300 other airplanes in Kelly Air Force Base. And come late July, early August of 1947, they got the airplane out of storage. They spooled it up, and in September, whenever the Air Force was formed in 1947, it immediately went to the 140th Fighter Wing out in uh, Salt Lake City, Utah. And it stayed there for, I'm pulling up the, uh, I'm pulling up the reference now for it. But uh, it did that, and then, let's see here, where did it go from there? Um, it went to, it stayed there through 1952. It did a temporary deployment to a San Bernardino area, uh, San Bernardino Area Materiel Command in Norton Air Force Base. Then it went to Portland, and it was part of the 123rd Fighter Squadron for about a year. Went to the 197th Fighter Squadron at Sky Harbor, Arizona, and then returned back to 140th uh, Fighter Wing, 140th at the time. Um, 191st Fighter Squadron, 140th Fighter Wing in uh, Salt Lake City. So it's a Salt Lake bird. 
You might as well just call it that. It was there for the majority of its life. It did some other deaths because airplanes walk around. But that's the, you know, that's the history of my aircraft. And uh, when it came out of inventory, it was bought by a guy of name of Nick Beavers for $855.55 the 1st of June 1957. Because contrary to popular belief, you really couldn't buy these aircraft after the Second World War. You, you can't. It's like me buying an F-16 after uh, Operation Enduring Freedom. Yeah, sure, I'm sure there's some out there, and there is uh, an F-16 in civilian hands, but there's one, two, maybe three, that kind of stuff, you know, for races or whatever else, and, and they're in the late 40s, but you couldn't buy one of these. These things really started coming on the market in 1956, 1957. That's sort of the height of these, these aircraft coming out of uh, out of inventory, and they ranged from five hundred and fifty-five dollars to eight hundred and fifty-five dollars, which my airplane went for eight fifty-five. Um, and it had to do with time on the motor; it had to do with time on the engine. So Nick Beavers bought it, and then he sold it to a guy. Uh, we and we don't know how much he sold it for because he only registered it for ten bucks. Um, he sold it to a guy by the name of Norton Smith, and uh, Norton crashed it in nineteen sixty-one. And that's where we recovered most of the aircraft. It crashed in the Puget Sound, and a bunch of the parts and and major documentation actually was was saved from the crash. But uh, you know, the, a lot of the original airplane still remains in the Puget Sound. Hmm. So that's my airplane. Wow. Yeah, I didn't know it had that many stops out west. Yeah, my airplane is a West Coast bird, and the ironic part is the last time my airplane was anywhere out west was. I don't know, like early 90s. So, and I'm not going to say this publicly, but I mean, it's a podcast, it's pretty much publicly. I would like to do a West Coast swing in 2021. And we're sort of, I want to say we, me and class 45, we're sort of planning on that. Cool. Um, and, and one of my stops is Salt Lake City. This airplane needs to go back at least for a photo op of where it came from. Uh, it's now an air refueling wing. It's, Blakesley Air Force Base? I'm going to, I think it's Blakesley, something like that. Anyways, um, it's whatever the air guard is there at Salt Lake City Airport. Uh, that's where this airplane was based. That's where, it, that's that's the identity of this aircraft. Wow. Yeah, I think they have yeah, either C-130s or C-17s out there right now. It's uh, uh, KC-135s. Oh, 135s. Well, then I'm wrong on both. <laughs> <laughs> Great job, Brian. It's it's now the 191st Air Refueling Wing. Is what gotcha. Cool. Well, we got we got the opportunity to get real up close with uh, your airplane, and you mentioned Class of 45, and there's a few of us over at Full Disc here that uh, we actually did the first time ever that the Class of 45 did a night run-up photo shoot together. Um, so, oh, man, I could, I, I could relive that moment every day of my life. That was one of the best nights ever. I was so nervous. I'm like, dear God, don't get a stack fire climb. I mean, like the one time, because I mean, you know, when a Mustang is hot, okay, when you, yeah. when you hot start a Mustang, uh, a lot of times, you'll see the Spitfires get this a lot because it's hard to meter the fuel into a Rolls Royce because it's inferior to a Packard, but that's another story. Um, it's, uh, it, it's really hard to hot start, uh, or it's, I should say it's difficult to hot start a Merlin well on camera. Not just any other time. Look, if I'm by myself, if I'm at an air show, if I'm in the hot box, I'll hot start that, that son of a gun every single time. However, however, 
you put a camera in front of my airplane whenever I'm doing a hot start, I'll get a stack fire, meaning I'll, you'll see, when I say stack fire, you will see literal fire coming out of my stacks due to over-priming because I'm so happy to be on camera. I'll like, you know what, it's just going to be my luck. We're going to be at sunset, and I'm going to get a friggin' stack fire, and it's going to go viral that, you know, Scooter doesn't know how to, how to start a Mustang because he got a stack fire. Yeah, that's a lot of pressure, dudes. But it was a good. But look, we did. It didn't happen. Uh, the the Merlin behaved itself. That's good. We like it when she does that. So. Yeah. No. I mean, I think people think that these photo shoots, especially the run-ups, last you know thirty, forty-five minutes. I don't think we were having the engines running for more than like seven or eight minutes. It was good times, man. It was. Yeah. It was. To this day, it's still probably one of the. I will say it's one, it's one of the top moments in my career, and I'm glad that I was a part of you guys for it. So, oh. I just want to know who ordered that sunset. Yeah, I want to, I want exactly. I want to know who ordered the good weather because we didn't have that the year prior. That's for damn sure. No, we did not. <laughs> uh, speaking of class of '45, can you go into that a little bit? Um, where the idea came from when you guys started it? A little bit on that. Do I really got to do this on air? Okay, so. Um, <laughs> There we were. So 2013 was kind of a crappy year for me because 2013 is the year that I lost my father, right? So I was like, all right, I got to make a decision. Do I keep doing air shows or do I spool back? Well, I decided to keep going. And Jim and I, you know, Jim got his airplane flying in 2011. We were joking back and forth like, hey, one of these days we're going to fly together and, uh, and do all this kind of stuff. And Finally, the opportunity presented itself well, I should say, Rome, Georgia, 2013. And he was there. I was there. We're like, all right, are we going to do this? He was like, yes, let's do this. So we, if the FAA is watching, we practiced this for months. But, however, we made this routine up, the same routine that you see today, by the way, um, on a napkin the night before the Friday practice. Like, literally, that's where this came from. We're like, all right, we're going to come. We're going to do a photo pass right to left. We're going to do a flat pass left to right. Do a banana pass right to left. A echelon stack up left to right that comes back around and does a split with a uh, uh, opposing pass with rolls. And that's it. Like, that's it. Like, five, six pass, be done, right? Um, and holy cow, did this thing blow up? Um, when I, I mean, in a good way, uh, when we did this, literally we had calls from air shows the Monday after the air show, like, Hey, we heard about your guys thing. Can we book you for 2015? This is in 2013. We're like, okay. Uh, say again, what we had like guys booking us years down the road. Um, so him and I knew we had something together. We we're like, all right, we gotta, we gotta make this a little more professional. Get like, I don't know, like patches and and like drinking cups and you know everything professional teams have. And uh, yeah, that's essentially what you see to this day is class forty five. So the name actually, a lot of people will claim the name. Nobody actually knows where the name came from because I'm the guy that named it. It came from 
a pencil drawing. Do you guys remember, or did you guys ever see historic aviation catalog back in the late 90s, early 2000s? It was, it would, it would come with either a Sporties uh, pilot catalog, or it would be laying around like FBOs around the country. It was a, it was an art catalog. It was an aviation art catalog. And what it would do is they had a thing that was, uh, it had a pencil drawing in it that was a Mustang and a Corsair. And they called it the class of 1945. And the only difference in it was the Corsair was in the lead. And I always said, oh, that would be so cool. They call it the class of 1945. How cool is that? Well, we just shortened it. It's class 45, and that's exactly where it came from. That's cool. Absolutely. Are there any challenges for you when you go from a solo act to the formation act with Jim? No, because, you know, the key to formation, you can ask any jet team this or any professional team, is predictability. Jim is about one of the most predictable formation pilots out there. Jim is awesome. Um... He's everything you would ever want in a formation partner, 100%. He is he's steady, he's predictable, uh, he's smooth, he's talented at it. It's everything you'd ever want in a wingman. For me, asking as a leader, like that is, that is everything I'd ever want in a wingman. So going from a solo act to a dual act, all I know is that, like, look, if I'm on station on time, I do my demo, I go behind the crowd, and I got to wait for the eight to ten minutes for him to get done. That's fine. That's eight to ten minutes I can, you know, hang out and Snapchat or do whatever the hell we do. I guess we got a TikTok now. I guess that's what we do now in 2020. But uh, anyways, uh, I go back there, and I, I wait for him. He calls, done. I know I got to meet him at a certain point. A minute and 20 seconds later, I got to be at I got to be at show center. I mean, dude, it's it's clockwork. It's you know what it is. It's like it's like your class schedule when you're in high school or college. It's the same thing. I know that X starts at this time and Y starts at this time. And no, in answer to your question, there isn't any any challenges to that. It's mostly being Johnny on the spot when he ends. That and that's on me. That's not on him. So. When did that start kind of coming into the uh, the Twilight Show aspect of the air show? Has it always been like that, or is that something that kind of came along a little bit later? You guys are asking all the hard questions. Uh, the Twilight Show uh, came out of nowhere. Uh, the Twilight Show actually was a Sun and Fun 2016 thing, because I didn't want to do Sun and Fun. I was, I was done with Sun and Fun. And Greg Gibson that produces it is probably one of the finest air show producers out there. Him and Dennis Dunbar, who does Oshkosh, are two of the finest air show producers on the face of this planet. And he and Greg Gibson told me, he's like, hey, what if we did like a Twilight show thing for you? I'm like, all right, sign me up. Uh, I've never done this at Twilight uh, formation. Uh, I mean, I did it in the T-34, but it was like, you know, off the cuff and not at an air show. But sure, dude, whatever, whatever works for you. And uh, long story short, that's that's sort of where this came from. It was just off the cuff, like, hey, do you guys want to do this? We're like, yeah, sure, we'll do it. And I saw the photos from it, and I'm like, holy cow, how do we sign up for this in every big air show? Um, you know, so if we would have done Sun and Fun this year, we would have done the Wednesday night 
uh, the Wednesday evening, excuse me. Uh, I'm still holding out for Oshkosh Bros. I am. So nobody cancel your tickets. I don't care if you're, I don't care if you're listening to this after Oshkosh cancels. Nobody cancel your tickets. I'm holding out for it. That's my first air show of the season. Um, I will walk there if I have to. Uh, you and me both. And my, I have an airplane. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. I, uh, I'll find the damn airplane. I don't care. Um, Oshkosh is one of those is is one of those places that if you have not gone, it's the in my opinion, it's the mecca. It's where everybody needs to go once. And if you need to make if you're ever going to just go to one air show in your life, go to Oshkosh. It's so magical, and you need to spend more than one day there. Don't go for one day. But that evening show, and you know. I laugh because they signed us up for both of them. They signed us up for the Wednesday night and the set and the Saturday night uh, one. And I'm like, really, we're gonna do two? Like, one's challenging enough. Now we're gonna do two. Apparently, we're good at this stuff now. Uh, but the photographs that come from it, and you guys would know more than I would. I'm sure the lighting is challenging, but the photographs that come from it are just spectacular. They're just absolutely spectacular. Yeah, it's uh. It's an unforgettable experience up there for sure. I know I was I was really hoping you guys were going to have the Saturday night last year and it wound up being loco and it was awesome. But man, I still keep thinking about those chicken finger clouds with uh with class of 45 and just that would have been that would have been super slick, but uh um uh, I'm going to I'm going to go for the uh, the trifecta of transition between uh, uh uh scooter, class of 45 and Oshkosh. I figure that's uh so I'm going to test your memory here on, uh, I want to say it was uh Saturday of Oshkosh last year. Uh, both you and Jim taxied down to the end of the taxiway and um, did your run up much to the chagrin of the photographer that was, I don't know, 20 feet right behind your tail. You remember that you sent a certain photographer that may or may not have been me kind of uh, hunkering down and trying to hold on to, <laughs> everything he owned and stuff other people owned as well. <laughs> Look, dude, that's your, that's your fault for taking pictures in the run-up area. All right. So, I mean, I'm just saying, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just sending, you know, everybody's got their own little phrases, right? Um, I call it freedom wind. I gave you some freedom wind. I love it. And I it. gave it to you and, and I gave it to you in buckets. And you know what? I'm not sorry about it because you could have moved like 10 feet over and not been blown away. But yeah. I understand that like, I don't know, it disrupts your like GPS and your like satellite tracking and like, I don't know, your, uh, your friggin' I don't know, whatever you have, your Falconer and your drone and like, you know, all that stuff, your Captain America shield, everything you got out there. Um, I do remember, cause I remember doing a run up and I remember looking behind and going, God, that poor asshole. Oh my God. <laughs> sorry, dude. Like, why did you, why did you not move? Now I know it's you. Well, now I'm not sorry at all. As a matter of fact, you know what? Zero. So I, this, this trip has now been completely stress free. I've been, I've been worrying about that for, for months now. It's now stress free. So, yeah. Well, the reason why I didn't move is why would I move? Uh, good point. Okay. That's one point for him. All right. yeah. um, and like, you know, like any good photographer, I had staked my spot. I wasn't going to move. You never know. Somebody else might sw swoop in and take it away. I'll tell you what, man. You guys, you guys do phenomenal work. Real quick, before we, before we go any further, it's, it's my turn to throw a harpoon your way. Um, you guys do 
some of the best work that you know I've I've been around air shows now for a long time and I've seen some I've seen some horrendous photos where people just and look I love it when people say if you're listening to me if you don't follow me on Instagram or Facebook uh, please do Quicksilver P51 but at the same time if you do follow me and you haven't sent me photos I, I will accept all photos you send me. However, if you do send me a photo, make sure it's like one of your best because, I mean, I have to go up against folks like these guys. And when you guys post photos or you guys send me photos, they're a, they're a notch. What I would like to challenge you guys. So we got three guys on the podcast now. How many dudes are part of Full Disc? Just you three or is there more? What are they, 14 of us? Yeah, they like 14. That? All right, all 14 of you bros, listen up. If you're listening to the podcast, I have a challenge for you. If you've been accepted into this fraternity that is full disc, that means that you're worthy of being of the highest order in my in my mind, okay? Um, there's only a few photographers that I hold, in, and I only hold full disc in, because, I mean, I, Jesus, you guys have like a... Uh, an airline of photographers, so I'm going to hold you guys as one. You guys need to pass this on to the next generation. You guys need to pass this on to the next generation of photographer. Keep in mind, the next generation doesn't have age. It's the next individual that's coming up with a camera that wants to learn this. Well, you have our word. I know, but my point is you guys got to do this in some way, shape, or form. So what I have started is hands-on history. Hands-on history is a uh, is a way for individuals that live in an area where there's a warbird to actually become part of it. So not necessarily flying it, but working on it, maintaining it, cleaning it, um, bringing you into the circle. Because everybody's like, how do I get into warbirds? There's no way. Well, guess what? Now here's a way. So if you can't do it, you're lazy. So it's slowly coming on and it's slowly catching up. Excuse me, catching on to more and more warbird individuals i want full disc to be the the front of this you bros are at the leading edge of awesome photography you guys kick ass so much with your photos if you don't show somebody the shutter speed and the this and the that and the placement and the lighting and the whatever you got to do then you're doing a disservice to the industry and I know you guys can do it because you guys are all solid dudes. You know, we had dinner at, at Buford earlier last year. Mm -hmm. I sat down and I remember I remember leaving the restaurant with Jim and looking at him and being like, hey, guy, hey, dude, you realize that like that's the class of 45 of photographers, right? And he was like, it is. He was like, they need to pass that on. I'm like, absolutely. So whatever you guys are doing, and I understand you're always learning, right? And guys like, and, and I mean, I don't know how close, I don't know the first thing about the photography industry, but if you guys can bring on an apprentice or if you guys can bring on an apprenticeship program, let me know what I can do to help. I will go out of my way to make sure that happens because the way the story of these aircraft that I operate are told is through the eyes of you. And by the eyes, I mean the lenses. You all are the reason. Every single photo that you take is capturing a piece of history. There's no difference between my airplane or Jim's airplane or Yankee Air Museum's airplane or insert individual that has a warbird or historically accurate aircraft. There's no difference between that and the Washington Monument. So every photograph you guys get of that 
is gold, whether you think it's good or not. Because look at 909, unfortunately. Look at Collins Foundation's aircraft. Look at aircraft that are no longer with us. All we have left of them is the photographs, the photos that, that people took of them. Mm -hmm. I think we can do that, Scooter. I, I, I know you guys can. And you know what, bro? I, 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 that's, my, that's my one and only challenge to you guys is to bring on more. You guys have 14. I had no you had 14. Uh, let's see if we can make it 28 in 18 months. That's a year and a half from now. That's pretty decent. So that's the end of 2021. Let's see if we can let's see if we can double it. Copy of quality. Let's see if we can let's see if we can make quality photographers. See if we can get. You know, that's what I'm saying. Like make it a make it a brand because full disc. When people see that little watermark at the bottom of my Instagram or at the bottom of my Facebook, they know that whatever photo that I'm I'm placing there is just going to be world class. Challenge accepted. Awesome. All right. Mission accomplished. And this is a, a Zoom cheers. Since I'm not on the video because I'm on a boat, um, this is a Zoom cheers to you boys. So, Cheers. And wait, you guys are on episode 14? Yeah. What the hell? Jesus, I've got to get on this. All right, cool. I'm on like 15 of my podcast. I gotta, I've had this for like two years, but I usually, usually start off talking to somebody and I don't have the record button. That's happened twice with Kent Peach. I need to like get on that no seriously I've, I've had two podcasts and think with Kent Peach and both times we've been so messed up that we didn't hit record and we both laughed for literally 45 minutes because we're like wow we suck at this we should just stick stick the air show flying because we can't uh, do this very well too many jelly bellies he's he's probably the I'm going to tell you whenever the Kent Peach episode comes out it's going to be the most interesting episode because that dude is the most interesting dude in the air show industry hands down I can say that's one thing is as the guy that's at least tasked with uh, making sure that we hit the record button. I lose a lot of sleep over that, just worrying that I forgot to do that. So it's so flashing, I, isn't it? Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only going to be on a boat once, dude. So. Exactly. <laughs> In fact, that might be the episode title: "Scooter on a Boat." It's just just put "I'm on a boat." That's all you got to put. So. <laughs> So I've, I've, got, uh, I've got another EAA slash Oshkosh question for you. So last, uh, last Oshkosh, I think it was on Wednesday, um, I had just arrived and picked up my vest for EAA photo, and my assignment was to go to some Quonset hut where there was some Bud Anderson event going on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so. Yep, continue. So I, I grab a little bit of camera gear and walk over there and finally figure out what building it is. And I'm picturing some large event, but instead it was a very small room. When, when I walked in, it was pretty much the who's who of North American Mustangs. And I just kind of wanted to get your take on, you know, how that feels to be part of that community to, uh, um, you know, just, I was, I was, you know, literally a fly on the wall in that room. And, uh, you know, just, I kind of want to get your take on that. It, dude, it, that was the most, that was one of the most surreal, not a whole lot of people know about that. Um, that meeting was kept in secret for a very long time. It was like, the who, like you said, it was the who's who. And I'm like, all right, what the hell am I doing here? Um, I'm just some air show Mustang driver. And 
I've known Bud since I, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you, I've known Bud since the gathering in 2007, the gathering of Mustang, 2007, um, which I mildly still might be drunk from, uh, because these World War II guys, I'm telling you, they know how to party. Uh, and I can, I can go on and on for that, but Bud used to come down to the Mustang bar where, where all of us uh, owners were, were in the bar. And he would come down and he would uncork. He would have like legit story time. That's actually where uh, the original episode for uh, dogfights, the History Channel dogfights, they were there like sort of incognito listening to stories as to who to pick. I'm like, really? You got to think about picking Bud Anderson? The guy got, guy's got 16 and a quarter kills. I mean, he's probably the most most decorated Mustang driver that's still around. And uh, Bud has always been a, a remarkable American. And the fact that we could have lunch with him and hear stories that no one else has ever heard, that's how you keep somebody from living. Uh, that's how you keep somebody living forever. That's the key to immortality. That's the, the fountain of youth. People don't realize that. That's the one thing that's the, the awesome about my job and your guys, because you guys are exposed to it as well. When you hear a World War II or Korean War, Vietnam veteran um, tell their story, the only way to keep that individual living forever is to pair up that story, is to keep that story living. And, you know, the, the famous the famous engagement with uh, uh, the Emmy 109 where you could see the rivets and the grease on the bottom of it as he was, like, fighting it. Like, that's just a, oh, such a killer story. Oh, my God. Like, you hear him tell that story, and you can see his fangs come out. Like, you can see, like, the inner fighter pilot come out in this dude, right? And uh, it, it was surreal to have lunch with him. Just uh, And he literally went around the room, and when he... He actually like looked at me and said my name and uh, that kind of stuff. That's one of the things where I'll never forget. It. I'm getting chills thinking about it because Bud is such a great guy. He is such a funny. He's such an American treasure. You know what? I hope that guy lives to be 193 because I want my great grandchildren to know who the hell Bud Anderson was. He's an American hero and he flew alongside American heroes. Um, he's just one of those kind of guys and to be in a to answer your question to be in a quantum hut uh, eating Caesar salad you know 20 feet away from Bud Anderson and, and hearing him tell stories that virtually no one else has ever heard I'll take it all day long dude all day long Bud is a phenomenal individual uh, I'm just upset that the uh, town in California that he was from didn't make a 30-foot statue rather than a 20-foot statue of him because that's how big he is. <laughs> yeah, it was it was cool to be there and just, like I said, I mean, I, I literally got as tight in the corners I could to stay out of the way, but just soak that in of just what was happening there was incredibly special. Yeah, it's, you know, so many, so many great, I could, I could go down this path for for hours and I won't, I won't bug you, but the, the amount of stuff at Oshkosh that's happened, uh, that Bud Anderson thing was next to the Hoover tribute that I had in 2011, 2011, I was asked to do the P 51 tribute to Hoover and to mimic his, 
um, his demo. Uh, Joe Schumacher told me, he was like, hey, can you do it? Minus the roll on takeoff. We don't want to give, give everybody a freaking heart attack. I was like, yeah, I can do it. So at the age of, you know, 27, I, I did Hoover's demo in my, in my airplane. And uh, Bob was there. I actually saw Bob afterwards, and he looked, and he was like, you know, I still don't know how you get that height off of the top of the uh, loop of the roll on top, but at the same time, uh, that was probably an A-plus demo, and if Bob Hoover friggin' said that, I'll take it. You know, Hoover was Hoover was the epitome of an airshow pilot. He was the epitome of a warbird airshow pilot. He was the epitome of a friggin', I don't care if he, I don't care if he flew a blimp. The guy would be awesome, you know? Uh, and all of that happened in Oshkosh. And that's why, like, I really hope they hold sway and have the event. I know there's this, you know, global pandemic, which sucks. But it's selfishly, I want Oshkosh to go on. Same. Yeah, awesome. So there's two votes. We got majority. We're good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> press brothers let's go so you mentioned uh <clears throat> you mentioned a little bit about your podcast earlier um so it's good to see that you've delved into that world tell us a little bit about the podcast scooter huh. all right so i used to uh i was i was big into really I, I still am but not as much as i was i used to be really big into fitness and uh the bodybuilding community and all that kind of stuff and one of my one of my bros that was a bodybuilding guy was like, you know, I want to get into aviation, but I can't. I, all the podcasts that are out there are boring. And keep in mind, this is before the full disc aviation podcast. So um, this was this was 2016, 2017, somewhere in that area. I'm like, what the hell is a podcast? And he's like, it's like a radio show that's recorded. And I'm like, well, that's boring. Who the hell is going to listen to that? So after listening to like 150 of them, I was like, wow, this might be a pretty decent opportunity. And uh, I had a couple of cocktails and uh, I ordered a set online and uh, uh, you know, texted my, my buddy out in California. I was like, hey, dude, how do you do this? And uh, he sort of coached me on it. And he was like, yeah, like you, much like you all, uh, you have the keys to, to getting to folks that are interesting. And you might as well just bring your Mac and your recording equipment and drink in the parking lot at like, you know, Buford or some of these air, other air shows and um, just start somewhere and end somewhere, dude. He was like, somebody will listen to it. And, you know, air power sort of, it stemmed out of nowhere. Like literally it started in a drunken storm. That's literally where it started. It's in fact, this boat that I'm on. The reason why I'm on it is because of the owner of Monkey and Paradise Vodka down here in, uh, in West Palm. That's one of the reasons why I come down here. And him and I started this podcast because I was drunk on his vodka whenever I bought all the equipment. So I might as well be sponsored by Monkey and Paradise. And uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm still drunk on Monkey and Paradise, so who cares? And um, so I started this whole, this whole podcast thing, and I look in our very first episode within like – you know, 24 hours is like 6,000 downloads. I'm like, what? What the hell is this? What is this? Like, this is, I don't, I don't know if that's a lot or not, but let's put out like episode two. And the first year was gangbusters. In the second year, I drank a little too much because I didn't hit record very much. So, um, 
the first year I got like six or seven episodes. The second year I got like another like three or four episodes, and this year I've I've got like three or four more. I'm on episode like I don't know, like like fifteen or sixteen or fourteen or fifteen, sixteen, something like that. Anyways, I just have to I just have to release them at certain time periods, and the and the response has been great, but at the same time. It's one of those things where I see guys like like Rain, who's out there doing his thing, and uh, everybody else. Like, you know, I I got to keep up with I got to keep up with I don't know military fighter pilots now apparently, and uh, so and I love Rain to death. He is the epitome of a fighter pilot. If you are not listening to Rain's podcast, uh, Afterburner podcast is another good one because I mean hell we're all quarantined. Where the hell are we going except on a boat in Peanut Island in Florida? So. <laughs> Yeah, we were lucky enough to have Rain on uh, a few episodes ago. On purpose, or I mean, yeah. call him <laughs> I mean, it's him. I'm just asking. Uh no, Rain's a good dude. Uh, we've done some work with him in the past, and he was super happy about getting on the podcast. No, Rain's 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 another one of the one of the most phenomenal people in this industry, and I'm I'm, I'm blessed to know him. You know, so. yeah. Well, actually, Full Disc was uh, we originated as a podcast idea. And then turned into a group of photographers working together. Nice. Well, three years later, we started a podcast. About damn time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, dude. Well, this has been a good time, guys. This has been awesome. You know, this is, uh, this is what I needed on a day like today. So. Yeah. Awesome. We were happy you could join us. Yeah. Same here, yeah. man. Same here. But uh, on that note, uh, I think it's uh, quickly time for the tip of the show. It's the part of the show where we offer up a photography tip that we wish we would have known sooner. Ryan, you want to take it away? Yeah, absolutely. And it's uh, it's very appropriate that we have a Warbird pilot on for this episode. is because one of the things I wanted to give a tip on is panning when it comes to uh, propeller-driven aircraft. Uh, so let's take class of 45 or even quicksilver for an example and you know scooter doesn't like to get low to the ground not at all um (laughs) but if you've got an image in your mind that you want to get a shot of whether it's if you're looking at show center uh and you want it at your two o'clock twelve o'clock ten o'clock position um the best thing to do to set up is have the have your body ready for that shot so I I am completely guilty of this is wrapping my body all the way to the left and just panning left, right, left, right, left, right, all the way across. And the first five shots are absolute garbage and the last five shots are absolute garbage. But somewhere in there was a shot that I had in mind and it just came out. So if you set where you're square, where you want your shot to be, wait until you get to that point during the pan that you're going to hit the shutter button and blast off a burst of photos and at least one of them should come out uh, especially if you're under the you know 1/160th or 1/100th to get that prop layer that scooter loves that's what I'm saying awesome man that's uh that's great advice and I kind of echoing that you know I've I've certainly had those times where I I didn't set up for the shot that I wanted I set up for the shot that was happening way down the runway and by the time I get to the shot that I wanted I'm you know afraid to move my feet and I'm shooting over my left shoulder and doing all sorts of acrobatics that my, uh, my body wasn't meant to do. So I think that's a, it's a great way is plan, plan where the, where the good stuff is going to be and, and not uh, the stuff way down the runway. 
So I have a question for you guys. I have a question. So from my standpoint, my photo pass is, you know, I do too. I do a left to right and right to left. And what is the key to me getting a good photo pass shot? I, I look, first off, I get it. I'll slow down. All right. Cause I love doing the, the right to left photo pass is the one where I'm like, Oh yeah, 400 miles an hour. That's probably slow enough. Um, other than that, what would you guys recommend as from a from a photographer to a pilot? Because look, it's very rare you guys get to give us uh, critiques. Guess what? Now's your time, boys. Fire away! And I'm only going to give you guys one comment apiece because if you tell me how bad I suck, we're gonna we're gonna be done with this. So continue. Go go ahead. So so I'll say is that slower isn't always better. Um especially when it comes to keeping the aircraft moving fast, you got to keep the propeller moving fast. So it makes our job easier if the RPMs are a little bit boosted up on the aircraft. So if you're coming left to right at 400 you know, miles an hour and right to left at 300, well, the engine's probably working harder on that first pass. So it's going to make our job easier for some of that propeller. Uh, I prefer more of like the looking down on the aircraft as opposed to like a half um half wing up at like a 40 degree 45 degree angle i love seeing like you know the whole top down of the aircraft so that's my input okay go ahead that's James. Good to know. so keep the keep the r's up i got it yeah yeah i'll agree i'll second what ryan said um i think most of us could agree with that the faster rpms you got it's gonna be easier for us and definitely top down view would be better the more angled you are yeah i don't know I, what I, nick and ed yeah, my uh, my thing to add to that is, you know, the uh, my usual answer of it depends, but it really kind of depends on the light of the show. So, I mean, the best thing that I could possibly ask for is uh, when you're in your photo pass and assuming I'm at, you know, I'm off of show center, say you're doing your uh, right to left pass and I'm on the left edge of the show line. Um, if that happens to be where you are when you're when you're doing your banana pass around um where you have pointed the prop towards the sun as much as possible um especially with your silver prop it lights up like a christmas tree um so you know it looks looks awesome and again that's that's not something that can happen at every show obviously um but you know you flying into the sun is going to make that you know the full disc that's just going to look you know just like a big chrome disc on the front is going to look way better than if you're flying away from the sun where it, it's in shadow. Because so. I've often thought about, depending on, because I mean, you know, the easiest thing to modify in my routine is the photo passes because, I mean, they're the easiest yet they can be the hardest. What I could do is a photo pass in one direction, level out at show center, 9270 and come back around for like almost a belly pass like a like a reverse pass but my point is i can hold that note or i can hold that line for quite a while actually and you know bring it bring it back in from the other from the other direction just so i get that sun so to add to that, um, I just thought of this because uh, I feel like a lot of the shows that we go to from a photographer standpoint, the sun is right in front of our faces. Um, and I know you guys can't do maneuvers towards the crowd, but if you're able to come towards show center, 
uh, from behind the crowd and then basically dive in and then come out through show center, roll, and then go into your downwind leg for landing, uh, it would at least have the sunlight advantage of catching you behind us. Dude, that's a good idea. No, that's a, that's a good point. So, I mean, like, from our standpoint, like, this is this is connecting two sides of the fence, for the lack of words, right? So this is why I wanted to get it. Um, that, that's why I was asking this, is this is something that I've often wanted to ask photographers, and they've never been, <laughs> no offense to them, uh, talented enough to really tell me this. So, I mean, if the sun's coming from that direction, that makes more sense. And I know, I mean, like, it depends on, it really depends on, uh, it really, it really depends on, you know, placement and all that other kind of stuff. But sure, yeah, and you know, one one Oshkosh thing that I can specifically say, there was, I want to say it was maybe 2015. Um, I don't remember what the deal was, but it was during the the Warbird portion of the show, and the Mustangs for whatever reason had the rare left turn on the northbound run. And I've got a shot of Andrew McKenna. He was, you know, relatively down on the deck and pulled up and to the left. And I mean, that, you know, never happens during the Warbird show. But, you know, basically with the with the lower afternoon light and and a silver airplane, I mean, it just it was beautiful. Yeah. And I mean, yours, yours would be the exact same story. But it was it was in the fact that, you know, the, the pass was was level with the runway until towards the end where it was a a pull up and then a left turn where it was kind of almost uh, you know on about a 45 and uh made for is a really cool angle but that's that's something that if you've got if you got sunlight behind you is really going to make that that photo pass look awesome awesome okay that that checks no i get that so awesome i, I appreciate the heads up dudes yeah i think we've taken enough of your uh your boat time away from you scooter yeah uh, dude, dude, it doesn't matter. I'm with family. I don't. I mean, I got, I got all the time in the world for you, bros. But uh, you know, I think I'm taking away from your family. I hear dogs. I hear kids. I hear you know everything else in the background. You guys go do what you got to do. So. Yeah. Well, uh, thanks again for joining us, and and uh, we really appreciate it. And you kind of already mentioned a little bit of it, but uh, why don't you tell the listeners where they can find your podcast, your social media, your website, and most importantly, how they can support your mission of keeping Quicksilver in the air. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, the the main place that you can find our podcast is is on iTunes. I mean, we're on iTunes, we're on uh, Spotify, we're on uh, all the major platforms. Buzzsprout is our uh, is our RSS feed. So, if you just go to Buzzsprout and, and look at, if you just Google Air Power Podcast, we actually have an we actually have a website that that you can go to actually upload it. So, I mean, if you're not like tech savvy, I figured that if somebody was tech savvy that they would just understand that. But, you know, iTunes is the major one. That's the one we do. We do uh, Google Play, Pocket Cast, uh, Spotify. I'm trying to think what else. Um, I don't think we're on Pandora. I don't know. Well, we might be. We're on We're on 27 platforms. You can find us, AirPower Podcast. Yeah. All right. How about your, uh, your website and uh, your social media? Yeah, sure. So, so website's quicksilvermustang.com. Hit me up there if you need. If you guys have any questions, uh, email directly to me. Uh, I'm mostly on Instagram because I'm a millennial. So uh, Instagram is quicksilverp51, same with Facebook. Uh, if you guys have any questions or pictures or anything you want to share with us, by all means, please do. And uh, you can ask these full disc guys. I share photos all the time. Uh, I don't crop out your, your watermark because uh, that, that's shady. So... Um, <laughs> 
not not calling out not calling out other warbird owners, but uh, they put the watermark on there for a reason. So, um, anyways, and I give you credit for the photos. So, if you got any photos of me or Class Forty Five or even Jim Tobel, doesn't matter. I'll just uh, doctor them and make them look awful. So, uh, send them to me, and I'll just go from there. So, you know, I just I usually put like you know, uh, usually put bad things on it and tell it to people. So that's the way it is. So. <laughs> However, before we go, I, I do have a very, a very uh, personal message to send to you, you folks. I just got a text from uh, my much better half, Maddie, who said, for the gentleman that, that joined us at Buford and Oshkosh and all these places, my girlfriend, Maddie, says hi to all the full disc aviation guys because she, uh, she really likes you guys. So she says hi. Awesome. Nice. Hello. Awesome. So there, so there you guys go. See that? You guys even went into the pharmacy world. Look at that. Look at that. That's how far the whole this So awesome, dude. Well, thank you again for uh, for hopping on with us. Um, it's been awesome, and we hope to see you guys again sometime this summer. Anytime, brothers. Let me know what I can do. Let me know when you guys need my bonanza, and we'll go from there. Sounds good, dude. We will be there. Yeah, All right, dude. Definitely. Yep. See ya. Absolutely. Take, yeah, man. Take care, yep. guys. Thank you. Bye. Yep. Bye. Man, we had such a great time chatting with Scooter. He's a fantastic storyteller and an even better person. We look forward to having him on soon again. But before we wrap this up, please take a second to listen to this promo for an event that's upcoming real soon. Are you missing out on the excitement of air shows? Because I know we definitely are. Full Disc Aviation has teamed up with our good friends at Mutt's Bike Aviation to bring you an immersive virtual air show experience and to take you into the cockpits of your favorite performers. Join us on Discord for our first virtual air show on April 25th, featuring live interviews and Q&A from aerobatic stunt pilots, military chopper and fixed-wing pilots, and air show organizers alike. James, you want to tell the listeners where they can find you on social media? Yes, uh, you can find me on social media mainly on Instagram at Black Knight Aviation, all one word. Uh, that's B-L-A-C-K-K-N-I-G-H-T Aviation. Um, yeah, not really on Facebook too much, so stick to Instagram. And Ryan, how about you? Yeah, so I use both Instagram and Facebook. Best way to find me is Rye Guy Aviation, uh, and that's for both Facebook and for Instagram. All right, you can find me at gravity.images on Instagram or search Gravity Images on Facebook. There are two of us. I'm the one with the airplanes, and you can find all of us at fulldiscaviation.com. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next time on the Full Disc Aviation Podcast. Full Disc Aviation is a group of aviation photographers and enthusiasts that are passionate about sharing our love for aviation with you. Visit our website at fulldiscaviation.com for exclusive interviews, stories, and photo galleries, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram for frequent content updates. Also, please leave us a review in iTunes. We always welcome any feedback that can improve the show. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Full Disc Aviation Podcast. And don't forget, Full Disc begins at 160th.